delivery, bro. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Midnight Marauder, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a. And today, we have a returning guest. This gentleman is great when it comes to sound. Great when it comes to creativity. You're probably asking, what are you talking about, Anthony? Well, first things first, he has a great show, a podcast called Megas Elgar. Very creative, very funny, great adventure, great writing, with a lot of great talent. But also, he's also been the sound designer, the director of sound as well for the viral hits of Has Been Hotel and also Hell of a Voss, which is freaking hilarious, by the way. I love both of those shows. Um, and today we're seeing a man who has been going through an evolution since, since the first time I talked to him. I think it's, about a, it's been about a year, hasn't it? Almost. It's been almost a year. It's been almost a year since I met him. Ladies and gentlemen, the creative man on my left or right whenever this kind of develops, Kennedy Phillips. How you doing, I sir? I could have sworn you have more nicknames since I last ran into you. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> I know everyone's just like, I thought there was going to be more. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not going to try to do five minutes of AKs. <laughs> so how you doing, my guy? It has been a crazy year. It, it has been really all over the place. I've, I've, I got opportunities that I never in a million years thought I would actually get. And we've been evolving considerably um, for my team and for the people who I've been working with. It's been a hell of a ride. I believe it. Especially the fact, I mean, you're working on big productions, man. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, like they're 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 big in my wheelhouse at the very least. Um, I got I got the opportunity to work on Hell of a Boss and Has Been Hotel with Vivian Madrano and her team, and they are spectacular. Um, they they are spectacular to work with, and I've been working on a couple of things on my own. Um, mm -hmm. we've been we've been hacking at writing a season two for Make Us Elgar, but I've been keeping busy with other work. Um, I'm working with uh, a guy named Space Doc on a sci-fi audio drama called The Sojourn, hmm. which should be hitting up sometime next year. Uh, I'm, I'm currently working on uh, doing the sound design. I'm, I'm, I'm not writing it or anything like that. I'm just doing the sound effects. <laughs> nice. Um, and uh, we have been working on another animated short for Megas Elgar. Nice. Which should be coming up sometime this month. Cause that was freaking hilarious what I've seen. So, and you gotta be at the sneak preview of it too. I, I can't wait to see what you got from Megas Elgar. Yeah, uh, and the the other big thing is is that we have officially begun trying to shop around the idea of potentially making a full animated series. And we're, really? we're talking with some, we're talking with some people about that. Please let it happen. I can't, I can't I can't say for certain if it's gonna if it's gonna land, but you know one can be hopeful. Oh, animation gods, please. For everybody in this entirety, let them see the greatness of what is Megas Elgar. This would be a, be a uh, sanctity for all nerds everywhere. And thus the skies parted and a booming voice descended down upon him, saying, Your pleas fall upon death ears. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, yes, I have Kennedy Phillips, a creative a wonderful, a dashing, everlasting, full of passion, just high classing. Okay, I'm gonna stop being a dork. Anyway, have <laughs> dinner first. Good lord. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so, dude, I mean, I can already tell you seem a lot happier since the last time I seen you. Like, yeah, I know you were... it was it was a pretty stressful time trying to get this out there, but we've we've gotten a lot of accolades since uh, we last spoke. Uh, the Audioverse Awards, we got nominated for a bunch of things. 
Nice. Um, I got to go to the absolutely spectacular Pod Tales in Boston to showcase the show and meet some really wonderful, unbelievably talented people like the team, the podcast team for Oz9, for Ignorance Was Bliss, for Sage and Savant, for uh, even some really big ones. Like uh, I got to meet up with uh, Casey Wayland, uh, who was just slumming it because he didn't need to set up a booth over there for We're Alive, which is now hitting like millions of downloads for Gold Rush. Good grief. Uh, and also the team that was responsible for uh, Lock and Key, which uh, I took a lot of it. I took a lot of, I had a lot of respect for. Wow. Uh, if you've never heard of it, that, that one's a, like a, a 12 hour uh, audio drama about like this haunted house and with like a bunch of really big name uh, people like Haley Joel Osment's in it. Kate Mulgrew is in it. And they do spectacular performances. And that team's always fantastic. That's freaking epic, man. Seriously. And here I am shilling other people's work instead of my own. Well, that just shows how humble you are, sir. I mean, heck, nothing wrong with, you know, helping each other out. When it comes down to it, the teamwork makes the dream work, brother. Seriously. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... How does it feel with everything just going on right now? I mean, well, I know you must be really busy nowadays. Well, you know? right now I've been work. I've been trying to keep keep it going by working on as many projects as I can. I've been trying to offer my services for animation uh, for a lot of indie developers who don't really have the weight of a studio behind them yet, um, and offering them the chance to get real sound design quality for their for their videos online is just something that I would give me the chance to get a little bit of practice in. Also, to give them the opportunity to have something really meaty in their weight. Because the one thing that I've noticed about a lot of YouTube online cartoons mm-hmm. is that the many animators don't really have a lot of... Not great. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I can definitely recognize that in a lot of different ways. Um, I've seen a couple, you know, sources. It's like, oh, this is fun. It looks fun, but sound could use a little work. It could, it could use a little work. I try not to discredit anybody if they're working hard on something because when it comes, no, to absolutely answers, not. A lot of work. And not to mention, there's plenty of animators that are really talented with their sound work. Oh yeah, so many. I mean, but. Man, I'm just like I'm really impressed to see kind of this YouTube renaissance, uh, renaissance of like, like creativity when it comes to you know, things like Hell of a Boss and Hasbun Hotel, and it it kind of gets me excited that we're going into a different you know, era of um, what's going to be you know, stream worthy or like, well, like um, there's been something that could be said about the about the animation industry in on YouTube mm-hmm. and that we're, we're in this state of an unprecedented awareness back in the day. Like a, I could tell you hundreds of animated shows that are absolutely worth their, worth their salt that started on YouTube and just stayed there and they're great. They're fantastic. But the, the thing that's always been kind of a barrier has been the, the scope of these projects are usually with like one or, or one to five people, but to have a studio grade production on something like has been hotel being presented on YouTube, just, just as a proof of concept. Usually when you do a proof of concept, you, you kind of, you're, you're very conservative with a Spartan budget, uh, much like I could say for myself. Mm. But um, Vivienne, she worked with about 75 animators on this thing. It was the absolute best it could possibly be. And she'd been, she'd been pushing this thing for two years. She'd been doing speed draws. She'd been showing clips. She'd been showing all sorts of things. And uh, her merch page is exhaustive. Uh, I can imagine. Because, like, I'm talking about... The first time I even like heard of it, like that Hasman Hotel was getting memed like crazy. Mm-hmm. There were so many memes. I'm just like, what is this? So I'm going through comment section. I'm trying to figure out what in the world this is. And then the next day, boom, it popped up on my YouTube. And I'm just like, Hasman Hotel. <laughs> Wait a minute. That looks familiar. Let me just. Click I, 
it had gotten to my radar back in 2016 when she started uh, showing pictures of some of her characters. Like, uh, I think the first one that I saw was Angel Dust. Um, and she had proposed wanting to make a full animated pilot out of this. And I, 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 I mistakenly tried to contact her through YouTube and say like, Hey, I do sound. You should totally, if you need a sound guy, I can, I can totally do it. I, I ended up contacting, I ended up getting in touch with her later when we were working on it. And I mentioned this, she goes, yeah, there's no way I read that. I, I just, I, there's so many messages I get on YouTube. I just gave up on it. Mm. And, uh, but uh, funny enough, uh, my connection with Hasbin Hotel was presented to me thanks to the efforts of the Magus Elgar team. Nice. Um, working on Magus Elgar Bri uh, Bridge, I was working with Zachary Paulus, Nicholas Cole Jordan, and Shannon Mervallen, who are three very talented artists. Shout out um, to those artists. Who helped make uh, that animated short. And they were telling me that uh, Hasbin Hotel uh, was still use, uh, still didn't have sound design done for their project. And I was like, well, it's, there's not a lot of time left. You guys wanted to post at a certain point, at a certain time in the day for, for this. You got to get somebody in on it. And they said, well, we don't, we, we haven't really talked about it yet. And that's when I offered my services. Cole got me in contact with Viv and we hit the ground running. Like I got hired in, I got hired in early September and we wanted to be done by early to mid October, which was a very tight pace uh, for what we wanted to do because um, I wanted to build all the sound effects for these characters. Like there's, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of cartoon sound effects. Sure. But like, uh, all the Foley is done by me. All of the, a lot of the like design heavy shots mm. and, and cannons and other things like that were designed by me. Um, like I, I had a synthesis, I have like synthesizers and stuff back here and like all this equipment, like, um, and, and I had to build all of these things from scratch and get it all done in like two, three weeks. Good grief. So basically you probably did not get any sleep. I mean, there was periods, yeah, but like, I, <laughs> there was like a one, there was one week where I had to put in like, I just had to crunch it and put in like an 80 hour, 80 hours in like five days. Good grief, man. But, um, but it really turned out well in the end. I mean, there were, there were some like things that I probably would have done differently now, now that I have a better understanding of the animation world, because sound designing for animation is considerably different than sound designing for a live action production hmm. for live action. You, you know what you're looking for. You want to get, make it as literal as possible. You got your footsteps, your clothing, Russell, your uh, whatever props that they've got on there. But for cartoons, it's, it's driven emotionally. Um, Cause there's a lot of uh, wacky plinks and plonks and other sound effects that, that play to the expressiveness of the characters. Meanwhile, the audience isn't really looking for every single thing to be footstepped or every single bit of clothing rustle to be, to be done or anything right. like that. Um, they're, they're focusing on what's driving them emotionally rather than what's actually happening on the screen. Hmm. And it's a, it's a very different kind of instinct to develop. You definitely see that. And I got to ask, so like, so you created the sound, so you basically went from scratch were you like, so I know you use a synthesizer. Were you using actual like real life material as well to make the sounds oh, as well? Yeah. yeah, like here. I got one over here. Um, at the very beginning of the production, or at the very beginning of uh, Hasbin Hotel, for example, there is this big threatening sounding clock tower. Now I could have gone and get a clock tower from anywhere and it wasn't quite what I wanted. I wanted something that sounded like ominous, uh, distant and almost baleful. And a lot of clock towers aren't really interested in portraying any kind of emotion in particular. So what I did was I took this lovely meditation bowl. Oh, what's nice is that if you hold it in a certain position,
Um. <laughs> I got this one because simply it's the absolute loudest one I could get my hands on. So uh, I started with this and just doing. And started playing around with pitch shifting and some adjustments and I stretched it out, slowed it down to make it sound like that ominous tone that you hear in the production. Well, I mean, they are in hell. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Speaking of which, me, I found it funny. I, it was a twisted sense of humor. Was there any controversy with Hasman Hotel with anybody? Yes, there was a lot of controversy, actually. Holy cow. So, well, so the uh, a couple of things. Uh, mm -hmm. There was a couple of controversies, actually. One was uh, surrounding the creator. Uh, because at one point in her career, uh, the internet attempted to cancel her. And that, as, as someone who has been very close to people who have been canceled before, mm -hmm. it's rough. Because when that kind, of, that kind of ball gets rolling, nobody's interested in what's actually happening in so much as the outrage. And the, the outrage engine can just keep going and going and going. Um, the, I'm not going to go into too much detail on Viv's thing because it's kind of irrelevant now. Right. Long story short, when she was a teenager, she did some stupid things and said some stupid things. And she apologized for it later on, saying like, look, I was a dumb kid. Dumb kids say dumb things and I'd like to move past it. And she has really evolved from it. I mean, she's still like going to react to rough things that are thrown her way what same person wouldn't i agree but but when hasbin hotel came back up everybody was trying like there was a lot of people trying to boycott it simply because they did not like the creator and that's unfortunate that there there's a lot of people out there that seem to be under the impression that nobody has the capacity to change or that they should not have the right to change i mean i'm gonna be honest like I'm very confused by this cancel culture and I'm saying that as a millennial. Well, from what I understand, there is a lot, there is some good that comes from it from time to time. There are yeah. plenty of people out there that absolutely deserve that kind of vitriol to get brought back to it. But there, there's an absolutely wonderful video on, on YouTube actually mm -hmm. uh, that John Oliver did about, uh, about cancel culture. Uh, and he, he kind of referenced probably one of the first people who had been canceled to such a horrific degree. And that was Monica Lewinsky during the Clinton scandal where mm. her life was just destroyed due to really not much done on her part. No, I mean, and she, that like uh, for, for some people, like you think a scandal like that would last like what, two, three years, maybe it lasted 20 well, she was still, still the butt of those jokes decades after it had lost its relevance. She couldn't get work or anything like that. It was awful. Now she is a forefront uh, vocal presence for uh, recovering from these kinds of cancel incidents. Now, th there's a lot of people out there that, again, they, they've done horrible things and they should be definitely brought into the light about it but at the oh, same yeah. time there's plenty of people out there where the evidence is just not there or they just do not deserve the level of extreme vitriol that is thrust upon them oh yeah and i agree with that like i mean when you're dealing with people okay so like a harvey weinstein situation that's different yeah you know what that's something i could see you know yeah that dude needs to be canceled He's abusing young women. Now, in the situation of the creator, um, Miss Veranda, um, I had heard about it because, you know, it's YouTube. You can always find out anything on what controversy is or whatever on the situation. I'm not going to really state it on what happened. But she was a young kid. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but if... I had Twitter or if I had social media like back in, especially my early teens or something like that, believe me, I probably would have been canceled by now. <laughs> well, I, I was, I was pretty careful about that myself. Cause uh, 
the internet doesn't forget. Oh, dude, it's everything is permanent on the internet. Once you put it yeah. on there, it's in that space. It's not hard to research. And the sad thing is, is that attempts to sanitize it, erase these things that you've done, that just makes it worse. That makes you more aware of it. I think they called it the Barbara Streisand effect. The Barbara Streisand effect. Like she tried, there was something that happened that like she didn't want people to know about. And because she tried so hard to get it erased, most people only know her for that. <laughs> See, that's, that's sort of like, I think Terrence Howard was mad because they were making memes about him. Saying like Batman or Spider Man or something like that, you know, because he always uses the word main. Yeah. And he was like, okay, yeah, I got to stop with all these main memes. And then, so, you know, the internet basically just exploded with more memes. Yeah. It's just, um, they're like some, some of those things that you really, if some, if you start getting evidence being presented to you about like, like all the horrible things this person did it's best to fact check and, and be sure and draw your own conclusion about it instead of just jump on the bandwagon. Cause like I've, I've personally gotten to work with Viv uh, very closely for has been hotel and hell of a boss. And she is, she is a professional. Like she, she knows what she's doing. She's a very clear vision. And, and that's why I got to say, like when it comes down to it, like, I mean, we don't know what people are really like behind closed doors. I now mean, the other the other bit of controversy is a little bit sillier. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this YouTuber named PK Russell uh, who would, after like about 15 to 20 hours of has been hotel being released, he posted a video express, uh, expressing that he didn't like it. And that's fine. Like there, there's nothing wrong with that. Like we mm-hmm. had, there's, there's valid criticism to be had in has been hotel. Uh, the problem was is that the way that he went about it, uh, a lot of people uh, took issue with because he he didn't really put a lot of thought in some of his uh, statements or he was very quick to just kind of toss this criticism out there. And um, then at one point, the video got content flagged. Uh, the content flag was done automatically by Viv's like publisher. Mm. And... Uh, it became uh, it got it got a little bit out of hand where she's like, okay, hold on, I'll I'll get this taken care of. Everything was about that, but he was under the impression that he was getting se- uh, censored, um, because the the fans were just not digging it, uh, digging his review. But it kept going after that. Like once once the flags got lifted from him and the video kept going, then there were videos upon videos upon videos of people criticizing his criticism <laughs> which led to him making a response video saying please leave me alone about has been hotel and him freaking out about like all the criticism about that which then led to more videos of him being criticized for criticizing the videos criticizing his video criticizing has been hotel <laughs> and, uh, like a lot of a lot of us are like on the in the back, like after finishing this, being like, "Oh man, I am sorry you have dug this hole." I mean, seriously, it's like a wormhole effect. It's just <laughs> yeah, like again, like I've got, I've got nothing against like criticism uh, against things I've worked on, even harsh criticism. That's like how how I started. Like I could tell you a grand old story about like the worst criticism I've ever gotten. And this is just like, yeah, all right, cool. I'll do better next time. <laughs> I mean, that's all you can do. I mean, you don't want to, like, you can't win a trophy for everything. You're not putting in the hard work to get it. That's one thing I've learned is, you know, if you're not good at something, you can either A, improve, or you can wallow in it and never improve at all and give up. I mean, for one, there's not a trophy for everything. I'm pretty sure they don't have competitions for jaywalking. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, that I know of, but I don't know. Anything is possible. Hey, I'm Eric Morris with Morris Enviro. We provide accurate and cost-effective foundation repairs as well as dry solutions for your basement or crawlspace. Now, if you're in the Atlanta metro area and you have water coming in below your house or you see cracks in your foundation wall, then give us a call at 770 546 39 Nine eight, or visit our website 
at morrisonviral.com. Also, you can follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at morrisonviro to find useful resources that can help you with your foundation solutions. day and age and we could have a contest where we're slapping the hell out of each other until the other one falls down anything is possible in human society <laughs> it's like i got points for walking on martin luther king boulevard jaywalking <laughs> i mean heck, we have contests where people will take their vapes and see who blows the biggest cloud <laughs> i'm just saying yeah no i get you <laughs> i gotta ask you though what's up when do you have a story of the worst like bit of criticism you've ever had hit you like something that really rocked you to your core that really like made you rethink everything oof i don't know we're going deep into my life here <laughs> man we got to think about that oof of course, I'm not expecting some hard-hitting questions thrust back upon you i did not expect that i wasn't ready my mouth was open. Anyways. <laughs> okay. If I would say the hardest criticism I've gotten is. Okay. So this happened, I would say, and I would say this is probably one of the biggest life lessons I learned. So this happened when I was in college. At the time, I really didn't understand what homophobia was. I didn't understand, you know, what it meant to be gay. I didn't understand any of it. I was one of those people, you know, I was raised in church, but I was raised around a lot of homophobes and stuff like that, saying derogatory things. Um, I really didn't participate in it myself, but I did. I didn't really have any ideas on was it right? Was it wrong? I mean, what if a gay guy does this? Blah, blah, blah. What am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. You know, stupidity. And I remember I got curious because I was trying to figure out what is the LGBT. So I go into the LGBT um, like office that they had on campus at UMKC which is a really good office, by the way. And I have a one-on-one -on -one chat with um, some of the men and women, you know, trying to figure out, like, you know, just what's wrong or what's right or what is this? Like, is this a lifestyle? Is this, that a, is this you know, wrong? Is it right? What am I doing here? You know, you know, why can't I say this? Why can't I say that? Or... Yeah. What can I say? Or how do I, you know, express myself in this way? Da, 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 da. And I mean, I got some criticism like, yo, like your way of thinking could be dangerous in the long run because of the fact that you're putting in all these factors. But when it comes down to the end of it, even if you, you know, you are, you know, a Christian or you're whatever whatever your belief is or how you live your life you gotta remember at the end of the day that we're human beings too and we're all flawed in one way or another and the way it kind of opened my world and because of that like years later my brother came out to me and instead of you know everybody being like oh my god I was one of the first people to accept my brother for who he was because I got educated because I decided that my ignorance was dangerous. It could hurt somebody because if what would have happened if I would have rejected my brother, he would have felt alone. He would have felt sad. He probably would have felt thrown away. So if I would say the largest criticism I got is dude, you sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I'm glad I learned when I was 19 yeah, and like, not here at 30 years old. 
high, high school is like a really tough spot for that because there's a lot of lessons that you haven't really learned yet about like what's okay, what isn't okay. And they're not like something that, that sometimes that kind of nuance is unquantifiable. It's something you can only really expose yourself through experience. It's true. Um, I've had a couple. I've had a couple of LGBTQ like friends, very wonderful friends of mine, uh, who had those difficult transitions coming out or embracing who they truly were, and that sense of isolation can only be like addressed with with just being present for them. It's true. I mean, like, you don't have to completely understand it to at least be supportive. And that's what I've been learning. Like, like. I mean, religion and all that aside, I don't think anybody in this earth is perfect. If we were perfect, we'd be worship on Sundays, Saturdays, Friday nights, depending on if you're a synagogue or whatever. Like, we're such a flawed species. So, it, I really learned a lot in my years in college, even though I was only there for two years. Because it opened my mind to realities of what the world really is Mm. and the people in it it became bigger than me so for a shift of tone that that got um, deep so for for a shift of tone my story is not nearly as um emotionally (laughs) charged as yours is but definitely is something worth uh sharing about so when I had graduated um, at UCF, I didn't know the first thing about a lot of the things that I wanted to know to be in the film industry. I didn't know the first thing about the process or anything like that because I went for cinema studies. Right. So I went to Chapman University to learn about filmmaking. Uh, I wanted to be an editor at the time. And I got to meet a teacher named Paul Sedor, who was unrepentant in how brutal he was to his students. Uh, if you're not familiar with Paul Cedar, this is the guy that uh, had edited White Men Can't Jump back in the day. Oh, that's a good movie too. Uh, he, he, know, he knows his stuff. Like he is not somebody to mess around with. Um, <clears throat> like I think most recently, like he would have us like edit footage from some of his movies to like get a better understanding of it and stuff. But the, the big crowning moment of your editing uh, college career was your senior thesis. Now, the, in, in the very last year of our graduate program, we did not have specific classes. Instead, we had one assignment, make a movie. It had to be 30 to 45 minutes long, and everybody had to work together, get their team together, collaborate, and so on and so forth. They were very hands-off about it. But you could come, we would have meetings to like give progress reports, talk about what's going on, and other things like that, learning techniques, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the big things was students would come in at 7 o'clock in the morning uh, to Paul Seedor's class to watch these movies that they've worked on. Right. And the class and Paul Cedor would critique it. I got to work on a film called Little Goat. Now, Little Goat was made by, uh, was directed by a man named Drew Dameron, who I, I would kind of, uh, I would lovingly describe as the David Lynch of our class. Someone who was very deeply misunderstood and oftentimes would get an emotional rise out of pretty much everyone around him. He, he was a very weird guy, but he was a professional. Like that's the one thing that I did uh, respect about working with him is that he understood what he wanted. Hmm. And you'd be surprised how shockingly uncommon that is in the film industry. Um, that being said, what he wanted was batshit insane. Because uh, uh, Little Goat was a was a store was a uh, coming of age tale about a little girl who was born with horns, where she was accepted to a to Noska's home for little angels, an orphanage where the owner, Mister Noskar, would use plastic surgery to beauty up his wonderful girls and then sell them to the highest bidder after he lobotomized them. 
Wow. <laughs> okay. That was a turn I didn't expect. Okay. It was, it, it was a dark film. And it was really intense. Like we shot, we shot this film in like uh, the the heart of LA, where there was this this really creepy, rickety-looking building that looked like it was from the twenties, where like some people had died in this building that they used to oh. use, like ragers and stuff. And we had to like beautify it and all that. And I was just like, man, I'm getting the worst vibes in this building. But it came to the point where we were being able to, where we were able to present our our first cut. I had worked tirelessly on this thing for about three weeks, making sure that everything was good. I was a little slow back then, but I wanted to make sure that we had everything set right because we had a lot of stuff. We had like crate, we had some special effects. We had a lot of props. We had a lot of moving parts. We had a musical number that we had to work with as well. Um, so when we presented, the uh the director came the producer came the cinematographer came and i had not slept uh i needed to spend all night uh printing it because i i was like getting it down to the wire to present this thing and i had to spend the entire evening at at the at the school to print out the dvd for him to look at so we watched the film and nobody says a thing the movie turns off and Paul Cedor stops it and says, how many of you liked it? Nobody raises their hands. How many of you thought it was okay? Nobody raised their hands. How many of you didn't like it? Nobody raised their hands. How many of you thought it was the worst thing you have ever seen? Everyone raised their hands. Ow! Oh, my soul. Every single person hated this movie. Absolutely hated it. I like some of the comments that we got was why I was offended as a human being. This is a travesty that this is allowed in this school. <laughs> Damn. I was, I was devastated. I had worked so hard, so many sleepless nights trying to make this thing the best it could possibly be. I might have not completely agreed with the the message at the time, but like I I almost gotten into fistfights with the director over some of the some of the cuts. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know what to think. I was completely paralyzed. A big part of that was because about four days prior to it, there was a scene where the opening scene comes in, you, the characters walk in, the, the main character walks in, she sees all this really horrific stuff. And there's a scene where a guy throws up. There's a scene where she pisses herself. And you're like, I, I had to sit there be, and say, you could have one of these things. You can't have both. Because the moment you have both, you're invalidating what you, the message you're trying to go and you're just focusing on shock uh, value. And he was, he was ready to beat the crap out of me about that. We started screaming at each other and I told him, if you can give me a legitimate good reason why both of these need to be in here for your message to get across, I will do it. Otherwise, you're just going to have to punch me. <laughs> so to, to face that kind of like adversity with the director and then have it result into this, I, like, I, I, I started tearing up. I was, I was like getting really, it was like hyperventilating. I was like, this is, this is it. Like I spent so much time and so much money and I'm a hack. And that was when the director got a chance to talk about his film. And he said, my film was made for all of you, namely the people who believe that sacrificing everything that you are to make something that is not yours is okay. The story about this little girl losing her horns and being made beautiful, but you know, running the risk of getting lobotomized was this allegory that he explained about how you come into the film industry with your own ideas, with your own passions, with your own uh, 
creative, creative drive that you want the world to see. And in order for you to get exposure, to get out there, you have to sand away the parts of you that help stand out so that you're more appealing. And it's a cautionary tale about. Oh, your sound went out. Just to shill out the same gray. Oh, hello. I said that one more time. So it was the controversial. Uh, to, to bring out the, like you, it's, it's a cautionary tale to not grind away those parts of yourself so that you just contribute to this mindless gray sludge that the film industry can pump out. And of course, nobody, people still hated the movie and we worked on it to make it better and, and release it. And it was one of the most controversial films that had been made in that school. Like the, the, the faculty was split down the middle about it. But what really helped was that when we walked out, I was, again, I was still devastated. I didn't know what to think. And I remember the director approached me and said, you did everything I asked you to do. Nobody ever tell you different. You're a goddamn filmmaker. <laughs> In fact, uh, the bit that really came, the, the, the conclusion of this really came to the end of the school year. We had, we had screened Little Goat and the, the faculty had, uh, the, the student, uh, fa the, the school faculty had gone out of their way to make sure that not many people saw it. <laughs> Like they scheduled this thing, this screening at like 1130 at night on a, on a Friday. So that where like, everybody's out partying or something where, where everybody's already left or they're tired and they want to go home. They wanted to make sure nobody saw this thing. Uh, we, we also got like snubbed at the, at the school award ceremony where like it got nothing. Uh, just to, just because there was a lot of teachers that just did not like the, the themes that were being introduced to it. Uh, most of it, like even like Paul Cedar, like he said, like I really don't like this movie. Um, what from, happened to you know freedom of speech? <laughs> well, that's I, I'm not going to get into that kind of thing. It just you are free to not like a movie. Okay. That's that's just the skinny of it. But Paul Cedar had invited all of a, all of a, uh, the editors to his house to where he would mix martinis. Uh, and give us drinks and celebrate the end of, of our, of our career, of our, of our college careers. That's the start of our real careers. And I managed to get a moment alone with him. And he said something that really, uh, really hit me to my core. And it was that I, I apologized to him for having to work on a film that was just, not to his standards. Like I felt like, you know, I still felt really devastated about it. That I, I tried my damnedest and I, I failed in my eyes. And he said, I need to stop, to stop you for a moment. And please do not take this as me attempting to stroke your ego. This is me flaunting mine. You went from being one of the worst film editors I have ever seen into... And by the end of the school year, and by the end of uh, your time here, you have turned into one of the best editors I've had the respect of teaching. Or I've, I've ever had the, the, the privilege to teach. And that, that got me. That, that, that got me. <laughs> Give me one quick sec. I think I'm blinding you with sunlight. <laughs> That's dope, though. I like how the sunlight just kind of came in when you said that. So it was like a moment of clarity. Sometimes I feel like that. It's like I'm gonna there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of times when you're gonna be working on a project that that feels like you are that feels like a disaster. Like you're not sure what's gonna happen. That there, there's this this tension that what what am I doing wrong or is this gonna work out for me? And it doesn't always 
work out. Like there is no stretching that imagination. There's, there's plenty of failures, but what's important is that you keep going and follow through with it. If it's bad, you've learned something. If it's good, great. I, <laughs> but there, there's been, there was been a lot of periods where like all, all these productions that I've worked on, I always have that, that moment where I'm staying up at night, staring at the ceiling, unsure if I am worth the, the, ta- the, the quality that this production demands. There's always going to be that little bit of doubt. I'm I'm working on this Magus Elgar thing. I still don't know if it's if it's like worth anybody's time because I'll, I'll know that like I'll know that it's worth people's time when I've gotten to like a certain degree of success with it, and I'm like, okay, great. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled that it's it's been doing well. I'm thrilled that it's that it's been getting a lot of accolades and stuff like that. But I just really I like I just really want to share it with people. That's all. I might have, I might have watch it people storyline a bit, but you get the point. <laughs> mm-hmm. People go watch Megazelgar. Do it now. Go to Megazelgar.com. It'll give you some options. Let you know who the cast is. It's made by the gentleman on the left. It's really good. Period. Jokes on you if I'm actually on the right though. But yeah, you, you can actually listen to Elgar now if uh, if you go to Spotify or any of the or Spreaker, any of those uh, or any what, whatever your favorite podcasting uh, program is, we're we're available for free now. And wherever you'd like to get, uh, wherever audiobooks are sold, wherever pods are cast. I'm a Stitcher guy myself, <laughs> but everybody has their way. So brought to you by Stitcher. I can only wish. Brought to you by Stitcher, also the Delivery Bros with Mr. AKA, Anthony <laughs> Anthem. Promo! Shameless plug. <laughs> well, man, I'm, th- I'm really thankful that you had time to really come on, to the sh- uh, come on to the show. I know you've been a busy man. I was like, you'll actually do it again? I was like, oh, God, I, want- I was wondering if you would want to return to my show. <laughs> man, it's-, it's great talking to you. Well, I appreciate it. I, I love coming back to this thing. Whew. Somebody actually likes coming on to this special show. And for some reason, all seven of you listeners <laughs> come back every week for this. So, <laughs> so Mr. Phillips, so where can people find you? and find Megas Elgar or if they haven't checked out Hasman Hotel or they want to check out the merchandise or anything else that's going on, um, feel free to just share with the folks right now. Well, um, if you want to see more of my work, uh, if you go to kennedyphillips.org, I've got all my reels and stuff. If you're looking for sound work or anything like that, um, you can see Hasman Hotel and Hell of a Boss, uh, which are both productions I was in charge of the sound design for. <laughs> on YouTube, absolutely free. Uh, there's a lot of has been merch for that. Uh, if you want to see, if you want to hear more from like the cast and, and crew of has been hotel and hell of a boss, uh, might I suggest, uh, checking out Honeycast. Uh, Ashley Nichols does uh, streaming with her uh, boyfriend who is the voice actor of angel dust. Um, nice. almost every week where she talks to like a bunch of different celebrities all over the place, as well as people from has been hotel and it's a it's a rollicking good time. Uh, I've I've been on their show twice now, and they've been doing everything from just telling jokes to doing charity fundraisers. Uh, you can also see me on Twitter as at Magus Serling, M A G U S S E R L I N G. You could also see me on Instagram with the same name, or check me out on Facebook with Kennedy Phillips being my name or just going to megaselgar.com and seeing what's going up. If you sign up for the newsletter, we'll give you an update on when things are coming, when things are happening and what we're all up to. And I'm looking forward to hearing from, uh, from you guys in the future. If you want to contact me about anything, I've talked plenty enough. So I'm going to leave it back to Mr. Anthony over there. Oh, wait a minute. You want, you want me to say something? Uh, uh, I'm kidding. Anyways, <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but seriously, guys, you should check out his content. Check out some of the amazing works he's done. Check out his IMDb page. He's done a lot of short films that are pretty freaking epic. I mean, a lot. He's done a lot of stuff. Sometimes you'll be like, oh, I didn't know he did that. Yeah, he did that. Um, he's a very talented man, and he's also a good friend. And I'm proud that he came on my show a second time, it's like before and after. So I appreciate that because you were my beginning, Kennedy, of well, thanks podcast. So I appreciate you for that. I'm honored. Oh, shut! You gonna make me blush? I might cry too. <laughs> okay, let me shut up now. Okay. <clears throat> Um. All right, guys. Well, with that, I think it's time to go ahead and end this. You know, you can find me on Delivery Bros Podcast on Instagram, Delivery Bros Pod on Twitter, um, Delivery Bros KC on Facebook, and um, also feel free to um, leave a comment and subscribe uh, to all you iTunes listeners. And same thing, give me a rating, tell me how I'm doing, and um, seriously, go check out Megas Elgar. It's a really good show. Yeah, just be be honest about those reviews and stuff. It's the only way we'll learn. Don't be afraid exactly. to kick our butts. Same with me. So all seven of you, go check it out. So you see seven more people traffic in there. You know why. <laughs> all right, so with that, guys, my name is Anthony Anthem, a.k.a. Black Fabio, a.k.a. The Midnight Marauder, a.k.a. Mr. A.k.a. And this is Kennedy Phillips. And we are... Signing off. Delivery Bros.